Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Washington, D.C. Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 3. And tonight I want to share some things with you. Some of you have probably not thought of the things I'm going to bring out of these passages of Scripture but I can promise you everyone deals with exactly what I'm talking about tonight. And uh, so I encourage you to open up your heart and receive this teaching. If you can understand what we're talking about, this will make a difference in your life. You would leave this place different tonight. I tell you what, I'll come back to Matthew chapter 3. Let's look in chapter 4. This is also recorded in Luke chapter 4. And this is where Jesus went up on the mount and he was tempted by the devil and Satan came at him and tempted him three different times. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth them, and, he, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now there's a lot of things in this passage. I've preached many different messages from these same things, but what I want to focus on, and many of you may not have noticed this, but these first two temptations... Satan came to him, notice that it called him the tempter. That is really important that you understand this. People today basically ascribe to the devil more power than he has. Satan is a factor. Satan does exist. There are demons. There's demons in this place tonight. Somebody thought, oh, how, how could they be? We're in church. I've had people before say, we plead the blood over everything and no demons can get in there. They can't cross the blood or they'd be a saved de devil. I'm telling you, if you could do that, there wouldn't be very many people in here tonight. I know some of you don't like that. Some of you think all the demons are in the backwoods of Africa someplace, but it's not true. Jesus, about 50% of the sicknesses that he cured were demonic. Much of the stuff that y'all are dealing with and you're trying to find an organic reason 
for it and a cure. The reason they can't cure it is because it is not physical. It may have physical things. There may be physical pains and symptoms, but it is caused by demonic stuff. If you studied scripture, you'd find out that about 50% of the healings that Jesus performed were casting out of devils. Blindness was a devil. That doesn't mean that every blindness is a devil, but blindness was a devil. Dumbness, inability to speak was a devil. I've had many people, Oral Roberts uh, was a stutterer and he had demons. He rebuked it and demons left and he began to speak and spoke to people all over the world. Oral Roberts told me not long before he died that the greatest miracles he ever saw in his ministry were when he cast demons out. There's different ways of being healed. If you have a demon, you can cast those things out and boom, instantly like that, you're well because it was totally demonic. Some things are physical, natural, and you lay hands on the sick and they recover. Anyway, I'm not going to teach on all of that tonight, but I am saying that, see, we've attributed this power to the devil and we, we believe that he's this terrible force, but the truth is he can't do anything except tempt you. His only power is deception. And I know that there's some people sitting right here who disagree with that and say, that's not so. I've seen all this stuff. You can't see Satan do anything without having some person to flow through. I believe that in seances, things levitate. That, you know, demonic things happen. I've had demons attack me and I could go into a lot of stuff. That's not what I'm wanting to talk about tonight. But I am saying that Every time something like that happens, there is some person that Satan is flowing through. Satan can't do anything without the consent and cooperation of people. So his real power is deception. And when we yield to him, we're the ones that empower him. He is using your power and authority. Your power as a human being is far superior to the devil's. And he has to get your cooperation to put you into bondage. Man, I'd love to teach on that, but I'm going someplace else. But that's a great point. So anyway, I'm bringing that out by saying that the tempter came. All Satan could do was tempt Jesus. When Satan came against Adam and Eve, he didn't come as some mammoth and put his foot on Eve's head and say, you either eat of this fruit or I'll squash you like a bug. He didn't come as a lion. He didn't come as a tiger and try and intimidate them. He came as the most subtle animal, the snake, and deceived them because he had zero power to force Adam and Eve to do anything. Satan can't force you into defeat. He can't defeat you unless he deceives you. So he's a tempter. He's a deceiver. That is really important that you recognize that. That's how the scripture identified him. It says, the tempter came to him and he said, if you be the son of God. Most people hadn't even picked up on this, but you know what the real temptation was? It wasn't to turn a stone into bread. It wasn't to cast himself off of a pinnacle of the temple. It wasn't all of these things. The real temptation was to try and get Jesus to doubt who he was. He came against his identity. And I know some of you are thinking, well, no way, Jesus was God. 
He couldn't have doubted who he was. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 15. And Satan was tempted in every way. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest temptations, one of the things that is paralyzing people right here in this room tonight is that you don't really know who you are. You, don't, you may have even heard who you are. You may have had a brief glimpse of it, but you confront the devil and your problems as a mere human being, not understanding who you really are. You don't realize what, what you are and what God has done. And since Jesus was tempted in all of the points that we are, Jesus was, he, it was possible for him to doubt. Let me share some other things. I'm trying to get on to another point. I'm just going to hit this quickly, but you need to go home and think about this because I'm going to say some things here that many of you never thought of. But when Jesus was born, He was Lord at His birth. The angels came and said, Come see Christ the Lord. So He was Lord when He was born. He did not grow into being God. He was born God. Jesus was divinity. It was God with us. Christ means that He was the anointed of God. He was divine. And so Jesus was God as a little baby, but He was in a physical body. And His physical body was natural. And His physical body had limitations. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The very fact that he increased in wisdom means that at one time he had less wisdom. And yet some people, this is like somehow or another, I'm attacking his divinity. I'm not. In the spirit, he was Lord at his birth. He was God Almighty. He existed before he came into this life. He was God in his spirit, but he was born with a human body, not a sinful human body, but a human body that was small. And when he was born, he didn't come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. <laughs> he didn't come out of the womb knowing how to walk. I believe that the first time Jesus ever tried to feed himself, he probably missed his mouth the way you did, the way I did. He had to learn how to control his bowels, which I know some people, he was God, but he was in a physical body. It wasn't a sinful body, but it was a physical body and Jesus had to grow and increase. And even though his spirit was God, he had a mind that was susceptible to all of the doubts and the questions and the stuff that you and I have. Now, he didn't give in to it, but it was susceptible to it. It was capable. If he wasn't capable of sin, then the whole temptation here is just a farce. It's just a formality he had to go through. Jesus could have sinned. Jesus could have blown it. And Satan came and the number one thing was if you are the Son of God. You know, I would have to spend time to show this to you, but it's the exact same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were the crowning jewel of God's creation. They were absolutely awesome. And Satan came and said, 
Has God really said you can't eat of every tree? And then he says, God said it because he knows that you're missing something. He's keeping things back from you. You don't have it all. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve about who they were and what they had. The truth was they had more before they ate of the fruit than they did after they ate of the fruit. But they didn't understand their own identity. They went to doubting that they really were the object of God's love. They began to believe that God was holding out on them and God did not want them to prosper. They doubted their relationship with God and there was zero reason for it. God had never treated them incorrectly. He had loved them. He had taken care of them. He, they had a perfect environment and yet a talking snake convinced them that they weren't everything they could be and you've got to do this to be more. Did you know that was the exact same temptation that he's coming at Jesus with? If you are the Son of God, then do this to prove it. The real temptation was to try and get him to doubt who he was. And now go back to chapter 3 and look at this. Jesus had come to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John recognized him not by the physical, but by the spirit, he recognized and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus asked John to baptize him, he says, I'm not even worthy to bend over and latch your sandals for you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And the Lord said unto him in verse 15, Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased an actual audible voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He had a word from God. God had spoken to him. I'm sure this wasn't the first time, but at his baptism, God, an audible voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son. And then he went in immediately into the desert and the first thing the devil did was say, if... You're the son of God. Do this to prove it. You know what the real temptation was? God, of course, had given Jesus the revelation through his spirit. God had been dealing with him. There's an Old Testament scripture that uh, was prophetic about Jesus. And it, and it says that I was cast upon you from my mother's breast. And Jesus, from the time he was born, was seeking God. And God was revealing himself to him. But it was all a matter of faith. I can imagine that someday Jesus was talking to Mary. And Mary said, Jesus, there's something I need to tell you. Joseph isn't your dad. No man was your dad. God is your dad. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me and I conceived by the Holy Spirit you were born supernaturally. You are God. I don't, I can't even imagine what that'd be like. But there was a time that Jesus first had the thought that he was God in the flesh. And yet he was as human 
as you and me, not with the sinful parts, but I mean in every way he was human. He was 100% human, but he was 100% God. And Jesus had to accept that he was God by faith. He had to believe it. And the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, was there to convince him and to bear witness, but he had to accept it by faith. And when this audible voice came out of heaven, now he had a word from God. I don't know if he had ever had that before, but now he had an audible voice from God that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet Satan was trying to get him to doubt it. And here's basically the struggle. Was he going to go by what God had told him? Was he going to stand on the revelation of the audible voice of God, a word from God about who he was, or was he going to trust uh, the fact that he could turn a stone into bread? Was he going to trust that he could do these things? Was his trust going to be in physical, natural things, or was he going to trust the word of God? And here's the reason I shared this tonight is to say that you, whether you realize it or not, this is really the same thing that you and I are going through. God has said things about you. There are scriptures that talk about you and that you are greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're the head and not the tail. You're above only. You're not beneath. The works that I did, Jesus said, shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. If you're a believer, you will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You will cast out devils. You've got scripture after scripture after scripture. You've got word that has been spoken about you. And yet most of us put our faith in these other things. And I'm going to say some things right here that might step on some people's religious toes, but God will heal your toes. Amen. <laughs> but I'm telling you, our religion has degenerated into where it is just so much of it is smoke and mirrors and all of this stuff. I was talking to some of our Bible college students. There was two or three of them today that talked about how boring I am on television and when they first saw me that they thought this guy can't be anointed and they just flipped the d dial and God kept bringing them back to it and stuff. And I, that's probably the number one comment that I get about me. And you know what that is? That is religion that has taught people unless you scream and yell and run and wipe your fevered brow and say, glory to God, duh, then you can't be anointed. And I'm not against people who do that, but I'm saying that we have gotten to where we think that the anointing of God is just shouting and screaming and running. Over in Uganda, I don't know how many of you have ever been there, but in Uganda, I mean, they've had a revival. You can't spit in any direction without hitting a believer. <laughs> you go into Kampala and nearly every taxi will have, Jesus is Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And they are, I mean, there are Christians everywhere in Uganda, but I don't know how it got started. They are shouters, screamers, runners, and a bunch of them now, pastors, have become my friends. And they've come to me and they said, man, we just thought it was how loud you screamed and stuff like this. They didn't teach the Word of God. Nobody learns anything. And, and they have just been set free and miracles are happening. But their religious style, it's, many of us are so consumed with the style of a person that you've been taught a certain way. And a per, you know, you have to have an organ playing in the background to go ding 
every time. And, and if you don't have that, then the anointing of God isn't there. I'm not against that. You can do that if you want to, but I'm telling you that you're religious. That's not the Holy Ghost. The, somebody playing an organ doesn't drive the Holy Ghost away, but it doesn't make the Holy Ghost come either. You know, I ministered with R.W. Schambach one time. I don't know how many of you know R.W., but I ministered with him and he took us out in his Jaguar and we got ice cream. It was awesome. But did you know what? R.W., he screams and shouts and does all kinds of things. But guess what? When he's by himself buying ice cream, he's the same. He screams and shouts at his ice cream. I don't mind people running and yelling if that's you. But if you're this quiet person and then you get up here and all of a sudden, boom, you just explode and become a different person, you're a hypocrite. I'm not against other people being different than me, but I'm just saying that, you know what? You ought to be yourself. And I know so many people that it's just religious. I had this friend of mine that he got hold of some of these things I'm teaching. He got hold of the word. He realized he had taught his church just all of this religious stuff. And so he got up and he thought he'd just do an experiment. He got up and he said, Mary had a, a little lamb. And he quoted that poem, but he did it with the uh at the end and stuff. And man, people were running the aisles and rolling on the floor and they were just jumping pews and doing everything. And when he got through, he says, you bunch of hypocrites. I quoted, Mary had a little lamb. He said, you're just religious hypocrites. If you can't say amen, say oh me. Anyway, the point I'm getting at is that, see, we've put our confidence in physical things. And if, if nobody's screaming, if nobody jerks, you know, we have people come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's some people that think that you just have to jerk and do all kinds of things. I'm not against people that do that, but I'm saying it doesn't make you any more holier. But you've been taught how to do that. There's people that believe that if you get prayer, you got to fall down. I've actually had prayer lines where I lay hands on people and I've seen lots of people fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's in the Bible. It does happen, but it has become a religious thing. And I've seen people before when I lay hands on them, turn around to see if somebody's there to catch them. That's not the Holy Ghost. If you have to see if somebody's there to catch you, you're just a religious hypocrite. Is that too blunt? Anybody miss that? Maybe it's subtle, huh? Anyway, I'm saying we have put our confidence in all of these things. And most of us, if Satan tempted us, will turn this stone into bread. We would try and do it because it's all physical. It's all natural. It's all about the way a person dresses. It's all about whether or not you have the right mannerisms, whether you hold your hands up like this or whether you do it like this or... It's just stupid. It's just, it's religious. And we have all of these things that you can't sustain. You know, I've had, I know some of you are going to think, well, you're just a guy that never has experienced anything. 
I've had some awesome experiences with the Lord. I've been caught up in the presence of the Lord for four and a half months. I have had God do awesome, awesome, awesome things. I have some physical things that happen to me sometimes that I don't ever tell people because if I did, they'd make a ritual out of it and say, well, I gotta have that or I won't be anointed. I don't tell people things. I have physical things happen. I'm not gonna sit here and try and prove it to you, but I'm just telling you, I have experienced things. I have, I have experienced God in some awesome ways, but you cannot live at that place. Those things, it's wonderful if God comes and manifests himself to you, enjoy it, praise God for it, but I can guarantee you that you will be without those physical feelings the majority of the time. God wants to reveal himself to you by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is what pleases God. God is a God of faith and he wants you to have relationship with him by faith. Did you know that God could have opened up the heavens and he could speak to you in an audible voice every single day? He could have a bird come sit on your shoulder and say, I love you and tell you what he wants you to do. He could have a dog walk up to you and give you directions. He could do all kinds of things. He could write your name in the clouds. And God has done physical manifestations and there's probably some people in here that have seen or heard an audible voice from God. I don't doubt that, that stuff still happens today. But even if you have experienced it, it's not every day, it's gonna be few and far between because God loves faith. He wants you to trust Him and believe in Him. He doesn't want to just make it physical so that you have no choice in the matter. God is a God of faith. He wants you to know Him by faith. Did you know Jesus could have come to the earth instead of being born through a virgin and only announcing it to shepherds, people that were basically not the movers and shakers. He could have come on a, you know, a spacecraft he could have manifested himself in some way that everybody would have known about it. He could have made it so that everybody would have known that he showed up. But he didn't do it because the Lord said of himself, Matthew chapter 11, I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus said that. Jesus is meek. Jesus is not a braggart. He's not a show off. He's meek and lowly in heart and he wants people to receive him by faith and to know him by faith. It's far superior because if it was just through physical things that God revealed himself to you, then you'd have to have those physical things all of the time or you would wonder what happened. Did God leave me because you haven't had a bolt of lightning? You hadn't had an audible voice in two weeks. If God was to answer your prayer and if you were to just be overwhelmed with his presence and you saw him and man, you were lifted up to the third heaven and if you had that experience this morning, then tomorrow you would have to have at least the same or greater or you would wonder, does God quit loving me? And God doesn't want you to live on that plane. Like I said, I was caught up into the presence of God for four and a half months. I didn't consciously eat or sleep for four and a half months. I did both but just an hour at a time I'd sleep. I'd just grab something on the go, but I was in the presence of God. I was, it was awesome. 
And did you know I've had, I've shared this story before. I don't share it a lot because people uh, misinterpret it. But I shared that one time and a woman uh, called us the next day. That was at night service. And the next day she called and, and she was a nice looking lady. She's probably 40 or something, but she was a nice looking woman. I went over to her house. She looked terrible. Her hair was all down. Her mascara was running. She looked like she hadn't slept. Her eyes were red and swollen. And I walked in and I said, Judy, what's wrong with you? And she grabbed me by the lapel like this. And she says, you tell me what you did to have an experience like that. I've been up all night long saying, I'm not going to quit until you prove yourself to me. And I want to have an experience like Andrew did. And she said, you tell me what you did to make that happen. And I said, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And she just looked at me like, what are you saying? I said, it'll kill you. It nearly destroyed me because after those four and a half months of just being in the presence of God, it left. And I, I could explain that in more detail, but God doesn't want you to live on this emotional, physical, natural plane. Man, I got so many things I want to say right now. But it's like Jesus said, you aren't able to hear it. It's hard to say because most people don't have a reference point. God created us not to be physical, natural, or not to be limited to the physical, natural realm the way that we are today. What most of you consider to be normal is absolutely abnormal. Adam and Eve were created not with five senses, what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. They were created with six senses. Faith was a sense. And this is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We see those things that can't be seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now that the new birth has come, we are, we've been restored. And did you know Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they were living so much by their heart, by faith, that their physical senses were secondary. To us, they're dominant. We're controlled by it. If we can't see it, if we can't feel it, we don't believe anything has happened. But Adam and Eve, it says that the first thing that happened when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 3, 7, it says their eyes were opened and that they knew they were naked. There's a lot of things that happened. They just died spiritually and all kinds of things, but they saw that they were naked. Now think about this. It says their eyes were opened. Does that mean their eyes had been closed before? Had they been walking around with their eyes closed the whole time? Obviously not, because the verse right in front of that, verse 6 says, they saw the tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And so they, they had eyes, but they weren't going by. Matter of fact, they were seeing with their heart. I've got a two or three hours worth of teaching I could do right here that would really, really help you, but I hadn't got time to say all that. But... They saw with their heart. You can see with your heart better than you can see with your eyes. Some of you think this is weird, but you're the one that's weird. <laughs> we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. Adam and Eve were so God conscious. They were seeing with their heart 
They were relating to God in the spiritual realm, not in physical, natural ways. And their spiritual eyes were open. They were controlled by their spiritual eyes. They were seeing things in the spirit realm. So much so that they had never noticed that they were naked. Can you even imagine walking by the Spirit so much that you don't even know if you're naked? You know, even if you could get that spiritual, put on clothes for the rest of us that aren't, amen. <laughs> But just imagine that you are so spiritual that you don't even think about whether you're clothed or not. Your attention is on God. That's the way Adam and Eve were. The opposite of this, the antithesis of it, is over in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And there, Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian troops and his servants said, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elisha said, Fear not, those that be with us are more than those that be with them. And people thought, oh man, this prophet had just flipped out because you could count the Syrians by the thousands and then you look over and you go, one, two. <laughs> and see, some people think, well, this is the way you faith people are. You're always saying you're healed, that you're blessed, that you're prospering. God's done this. And anybody can tell by looking at you, you're sick. Anybody can tell by looking at you, you don't have all your needs met. You're one of those name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, one of these faith guys and you just say that it's so when it's really not so, hoping that it'll become so. That's what a lot of people think faith is. And you know what? If all you think is reality is the five senses, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, well, then your logic would be correct. But I could show you hundreds, thousands of scriptures that show you that there is a spiritual world. There are spiritual beings in this room tonight, angels, demons. There are spiritual beings. There's a spiritual being on the inside of you that most of you don't know about. The scripture teaches that. There's much more than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And so people who, when you sit there and say, Man, God is supplying all of my needs. And they look at you and say, that's a lie. You're as broke as you can be. <laughs> you know what that does? That shows how carnal you are. It shows how you are reduced to only your five senses. But you can walk by the Spirit. You can see by faith. And so this is what Elisha was doing. Elisha said, there's more with us than those that be with them. People that are in the natural just say, that's a lie. There's only two of you and there's thousands and thousands of them. But the truth is what he said was true. If you take into all of reality, there is a spiritual world that exists. And in the spiritual world, there was more with them than there was with the Syrians. And so Elisha raised his hand to the heaven and he said, God, smite them blind. And right before he did that, he said, Lord, open up the eyes of my servant. And the Lord opened up the eyes of his servant. That isn't talking about his physical eyes. I can guarantee you that servant's physical eyes were as big as saucers looking at all of this. His physical eyes were open. He was talking about opening up the eyes of his heart. And when he did, the physical didn't disappear. It was still there, but he now could see more than just the physical. There was also a spiritual realm. And sure enough, round about on the mountains around them were horses and chariots of fire by the thousands. And what he said was absolutely true. If you take all of reality into account. 
See, there's people today that don't understand this and you tell them you're healed in the name of Jesus and they say, well, amen, I'm gonna go to the doctor and find out if I'm healed. (laughs) You're missing it. You think, well, nothing happened. I'm not healed. I don't care what you say. Here's my doctor's report to prove what I've got. All the doctor can do is search the physical and tell you what's happening in the physical. They can't tell you that on the inside of you, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. They can't tell you what's happening in the spiritual. And there are some people, and forgive me, I'm just only here one night. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be blunt, get my point across. But some of you are so carnal that you can't believe anything has happened unless you can see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, or feel it. You think that's all areas to reality. I'm telling you, there's things that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. Did you know there's television signals in this room tonight? And if you say, oh, there are not. If there were, I could see them. That doesn't mean they aren't here. It just means you aren't very smart. (laughs) They're here. There's lots of them in here. And all you'd have to do to prove it is put a television up here, turn it on, and tune it in. And when you see and hear the signal is not when it comes. It's already here. There's signals in here. There's things going on beyond your ability of your little peanut brain to perceive. And I'm, I'm saying that there is a spiritual world that exists. Adam and Eve were living in this spiritual world so that their physical senses were there, but they were not controlled by them so much so they never had even noticed that the other person was naked. But when they sinned, their spiritual eyes closed and they begin to start being dominated by their five senses the way you and I are. When Gehazi, Elisha's servant, came along, it was the opposite. He was natural and controlled by his five senses, but Elisha prayed that his spiritual eyes would be open, and all of a sudden he began to see by faith, and he saw things that were there the whole time, but he couldn't see them because they were in the spiritual realm. Now that we're born again, we can walk by faith, and this is what God is looking for. God is a spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say this is the best way to do it. It didn't say it's the preferred way to do it. If you are going to connect with God, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. And again, our religious system is thought, well, in the spirit is when you're jerking. And when you're screaming and you can't control it and and that's not in the spirit. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have a physical feeling and a physical manifestation, but those are byproducts. Those things come and go. Jesus said that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. John chapter three, I believe it was verse six. He was saying that the spirit realm is the spirit realm and the physical realm is the physical realm and they do not touch you, you know, people say, I feel the Spirit. The truth is what you feel is your faith. Faith and the anointing of God is tangible. You can put it into a cloth and you can send it to a person, Acts 19, 11, And you can pass the anointing. The anointing of God is tangible. Faith is tangible and you can feel faith. You can feel the anointing, but you cannot feel the Spirit. The Spirit is Spirit. And anytime, see, we do have these physical things. 
again, I'm not going to tell you. I, I sometimes feel things, but I don't tell people about it or somebody would make a doctrine out of it. And I don't want any womacites. <laughs> you can ask the people who go to our Bible college. We do not turn out little Andrews. Man, we encourage people to be who God called you to be. And we have different people come in and we are not out to make people like me. And so I don't tell you all these things, but I feel things, but you know what? Sometimes I don't feel anything. And some of the greatest miracles I've ever had in my life is when I didn't feel a thing. And I've learned that you cannot trust feelings. If they come, enjoy them. Praise God for goosebumps. But if I don't have them, I'm still going to do what the Word says. And it doesn't make me doubt. My faith isn't in these things. And see, this is what Satan was trying to do was to get Jesus out of the spirit realm, out of operating in what his father had said about him and trying to get him into some physical thing that this proves I'm the son of God. This proves that I truly am God in the flesh. And if he would have done something physical, natural, Satan has access in that physical realm. He can do things. He can affect physical things, but Satan cannot change through the spiritual things that God has done in your life. The Lord wants us to relate to him by faith. Again, I say that, you know, not only could the Lord have come in a dramatic way that would have proven to everybody, but when Jesus was crucified, the city of Jerusalem was filled with hundreds of thousands of people that saw Jesus crucified. Did you know all Jesus would have had to have done is just raise from the dead and hover over Jerusalem and let everybody see him? And right then, that would have been the end of it. Everybody would have known that he was the Christ. He was risen from the dead. But there isn't one single example of Jesus appearing to anybody except people who already believed in him after his resurrection. He never used something physical to force a person to believe. I tell you what I'm saying here is really important. We have people today that I've had people come to me. I've got a friend that's been inside of Noah's Ark and brought back a little piece of it. And I have people that say, man, they found parts of Noah's Ark. They've done this. And you know, they've got this new thing and scientists came up with this thing and they found a part of your frontal lobe that when you pray in tongues, it's activated and they now have some, uh, you know, scientific evidence proof. And they say, man, prove these things, share this with the people. And they're wanting something physical to try and convince people that God exists and make them believe in God. And I'm telling you, that's not the way that God is. If God wanted to, he could make every person know he's God. He could have your dog come up and rebuke you every time you do something wrong, but that's not the way that God is. God wants you to walk in the spirit. Being in the spirit is better than being in the flesh. And yet most people don't know that. And they think being in the spirit is going around with this sick look on your face, like you've been sucking prunes or having your collar turned around backwards or wearing a certain type of clothes. Man, you're in the spirit if you don't wear makeup and if your hair's in a bun. <laughs> it's not true. I'm not going to preach on all that, but you know what? If your barn needs painting, paint it, praise God. <laughs> and if it needs two coats, give it two coats. That's not being in the spirit. I've actually known some people that in an effort to look like they didn't have rosy cheeks, put huge amount of powder on to dim their rosy cheeks. 
You know, the Bible talks about being modest. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The word modest is the word we get moderation, moderate from. If you are in some religious style that is dating back to the 1700s or 1800s because you believe that was holy, you're extreme. You aren't moderate. You are not modest. And yet they would pride themselves. I'm very modest. No, you're extreme. You're violating the exact principle of Scripture. I'm telling you, spirituality isn't all of these things, whether you wear a three-piece suit, whether you do this, or whether you do that. It's all about matters of the heart. If you're going to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You've got to get out of all of the smoke in the mirrors and having everything just right and having a smoke machine and lights and all of this stuff to create the mood so that the Holy Spirit can operate. Those things are for you. They aren't for the Holy Spirit. And you've got to get to where you connect to God spirit to spirit. And see, Satan was trying to get Jesus out of the spirit and into the flesh, doing things to prove. This proves who I am. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, there's many of us that Satan is using this exact same technique with us. And because we aren't doing this or that or we haven't fasted and we haven't done all of these things, we doubt what God says about us. We're going to have to go to, back to the Word and just get to where we take the Word of God. You believe what God says about you and you can look yourself right in the mirror and even if you look sick, you are not going to be moved by what you see. You're going to be moved by what the Word of God says. You aren't denying that the physical world exists, but you're denying that it is all that exists. There is also a spiritual being on the inside. And whether you ever get this healing out of your spirit and into your physical body, you have been healed. You do have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And you have to be able to see that by faith. You know, we had an instance in Colorado where we were holding a... Um, campus days where we invite people to come to our Bible college and check it out. And we had about two or 300 people in a holiday inn. And I was sitting on the, uh, right where um, Chip is right there. And there was a center aisle and I was sitting right there. And then there was people over here. And over on this side, there were these double doors. And we were into a time of worship. And you know, in a time of worship, some people think, well, God came. God's always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. This really grates on me when people say, Oh God, we ask you to come and be with us. And I think, what a dumb prayer. <laughs> he says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And then when we get through, God, just go with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What's God going to do? Break his word and lie and leave you so that he can come back and answer your prayer? Those are stupid prayers. They're religious prayers. Think about what you're saying. I've been in worship services where the presence of God was just awesome and then the worship leader, oh, come Lord, come, oh God. And I think, well, if he was prone to leave, he would have left just right now. Because <laughs> here they are, man, the worship, the presence of God is wonderful and they start begging him to come. 
That's like if you were standing right here and you said, Andrew, come. And I said, I'm here. And you said, come, come. And I said, I'm here. How much closer can I get? What do you want me to do? After a while, it would offend me for you to just ignore the fact that I'm here and keep asking me to come. Especially if I'd sworn to you that I'd never leave you nor forsake you, that I'd always be with you. So anyway, we were worshiping the Lord and, and it wasn't that God came, but our attention was focused on Him. We quit going by just the flesh. We started seeing by faith. We perceived the presence that was always here and we were in the presence of God. And man, I was just worshiping the Lord. And as I had my eyes closed, worshiping the Lord, I just saw those two doors over there just fling open like that and uh, it had these closers on it and it flung open real quick and then Jesus just stepped in and he stood there and those doors closed real slowly behind him. And then he walked over and there were these two ladies that were directors of our Bible college up in Indiana and Chicago and they were over there and I saw Jesus just walk up and touch one on the head and I mean, boom, she fell right on her face, spread eagle on the floor, just worshiping God. And then there was two people in between them and he walked over and touched this next woman on the head and she fell to her knees and lifted her hands and started worshiping the Lord. And what I was seeing was so real. It wasn't an open vision. It's the same way as if I say, you know, picture your house. You have a mental image. Just in my mind, I was seeing this and thinking about this and I was seeing these images. And it was so real what I was seeing that I opened up my eyes to see if I could see it. And when I opened my eyes, those doors just all of a sudden, boom, went wide open like that. Nobody was there, but they flew open. And I couldn't see Jesus, but I saw the exact same thing. I saw the physical things that were happening as a result of what was happening in the spirit. And I saw those doors fling wide open and then they just slowly shut. And then I looked and that first woman just fell flat of her face, spread eagle on the ground. And then there was two people skipping. The next woman hit her knees and lifted her hand. And you know what? Everything I had seen in my heart by faith, I could see happening in the physical, except I couldn't see what was causing it. I couldn't see the spiritual thing. I couldn't see Jesus. And it was about a 20 second delay. I'd already seen it in the spirit before I saw these things happening in the flesh. And you know what I wound up doing? I closed my eyes because I could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. And after Jesus did that, he walked over to me and he spoke some things to me. And then he started down this center aisle and he just started touching people that were on the aisle seats. And I saw who the people were. I heard what he told them. And after the meeting, I went up and I said, what happened during the praise and worship service? Did the Lord say anything to you? And they started telling me and it was exactly what I heard the Lord tell them. And you know what? I don't think that that's abnormal. I think that's the way God created us to be. And we very, very seldom walk by faith. We just do everything by sight. Satan was trying to drag Jesus down from this higher realm of walking in the Spirit and trusting what God had revealed to him in the Spirit and even an audible voice. And he was trying to get Jesus to put his faith in a piece of stone being turned into bread or something like that. He was trying to get him to doubt 
what God had revealed to him by the Spirit and just go by some physical, natural thing. And I tell you, if Jesus would have done that, he would have sinned. He would have failed the same way that Adam did, and he wouldn't have been our Savior. But Jesus refused to get into that realm, and he stood on what God had revealed to him, and he walked in the Spirit, and he overcame that temptation. I'm telling you, if, he, if we would just get into the Word, John 6, 63, said, Jesus said, it's the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. Did you know that that is contrary to most people's thinking? There are people today that I can guarantee you, you are so worried about getting healed because, man, this body and this life is everything. You heard BJ and Elaine sing, I mean, uh, Lisa sing about it tonight. You heard them sing about this is the reason that we never give up and never quit, and it's because this is just temporary. That's exactly what Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our light affliction is just for a moment. Doesn't matter if you're in a bad marriage for 20 years. That's like that compared to eternity. It's no big deal. Doesn't matter. You know, we sing songs about when we all get to heaven. What a day that's going to be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. Makes me think it was just religious. It wasn't re If you really believe what we were saying, if you really believe like Paul said over in, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. If we were spiritual the way that Paul was, we could sit there and if the doctor tells you you're going to die, you just go up and kiss him. Man, that's awesome. Great news. But some of you are just weeping and well because, and I say, what's wrong? Well, I'm going to die. And I say, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with that? I got a friend that just recently, the doctor told him he was going to die and he, he, he wasn't taking him seriously. He was believing God. And so it wasn't any big deal. And the guy says, you don't understand. You're going to die. And he's told him, he says, so are you. <laughs> it's just a matter of when. He said, I'd rather die believing God than sit there and and operate in unbelief. You know what? The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. And then he went on to say in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You know what working, walking in the spirit is? It's not having your hands folded and going around like this and sprinkling holy water on things. Walking in the spirit is walking in the word. What does the Word say? The Word says that by His stripes you're healed. The doctor says you're dying. If you're walking in fear, if you are afraid, if you're worried, if you're anxious, you're walking in the flesh. If you're walking in the Word, you'll be rejoicing. I don't care what you look like, what you feel like, what they tell you. I know many of you think you're strange. I think you're strange. I haven't arrived, but I've left. And I'm telling you, it's the Word of God that has been changing my opinion. And I'm getting closer to being in the Spirit than I am to being in the flesh. And I have faced some things. Some of you think, well, you just hadn't dealt with what I've dealt with. You know, in 2001, my son died. They called me at 4.15 in the morning and told me that my son had been dead for over four hours. 
And I started to have the same feelings that any of you would have. I started to be discouraged and grief-stricken and all of these things. And yet, you know what? I know that that is not who God made me to be. I know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and that 24 hours a day, I've got love, joy, and peace on the inside of me. I don't care what I feel like. And I don't like being depressed. I hadn't been depressed in 46 years, and I'm not gonna start. And so you know what I did? I just began to start praising God. I began to start thanking God. And anyway, it's a long story, but my son who had been dead for nearly five hours was stripped naked on a slab in a cooler in the morgue with a toe tag on, sat up and started talking. And he's alive and well today. Amen. And some of you say, I don't believe that. Well, my wife, just a year and a half ago, she fell and hit her chest real hard and she died. We were at the grave, uh, we were at a cemetery and she died and fell over. And I started praying for her and God brought her back from the dead. Amen. Some people that were there called 911 and they showed up. And later we got to laugh and said, did you realize that they dialed 911 from the cemetery? He says, it's a surprise that anybody showed up. And she was raised from the dead. Somebody, I don't believe that. Well, then you'd never believe this next story. <laughs> there were these three guys who refused to bend, bow, and so the king threw them into a furnace. <laughs> and it was so hot, it burned up the people who threw them in. And yet when they got in there, they weren't burnt. They were loose. They were walking around and there was a fourth person in the furnace with them. It was the son of God. Amen. If you don't believe that one, I got a bunch more like that. I'm telling you what, God is alive and well. Hallelujah. And we limit God when you have to have all of these physical things. People want to feel something. They want to fall on the floor. They want to have a goosebump. They want heat to flow through them. They want this. They want you, want, they want you to slap them. They want all these other things. And I'm not saying that those things can't happen. I've hit people before. I've kicked people before. I've seen people heal. I'm saying God can do anything, but the very fact that you won't worship him in spirit and in truth, and you have to have all of these other things, and you have to have somebody preaching in your style and looking your way and doing this and doing that, that's the very reason that Satan is beating you is because we are fleshly, we're carnal. You can't win a spiritual battle in physical, natural things. You've got to fight spiritual things with spiritual things. We've got to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And Jesus refused to get into the flesh and start doing things. Later on, He did perform miracles. He saw the dead raised. He saw all of these miracles, but He didn't do it to prove who He was. He did it because He was moved with compassion. And he did it for those people. He didn't have to do it. Later on, he was praying right before his crucifixion. And he says, Father, he says, I've glorified you on the earth. Now glorify me. And an audible voice, this is John chapter 12, came and says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
And Jesus turned around and he said, this voice didn't come for me. This came for your sake. Jesus didn't have to hear it because he already believed. Did you know faith is actually a greater way of relating to God than all of these physical, natural things that we're looking for? You have the capability of being a spiritual being. We don't use it very often. We are just inundated with carnal, physical, natural information. And I think our generation is probably worse at this than any generation of Christians that have ever lived because we have TV, radio, cell phones, CDs, MP3s. We are just constantly being bombarded with the junk of this world. With the, and some of you think, well, I don't listen to the X-rated, the R-rated. Just listen to the natural stuff. Just listen and keep tuned in to the physical world and you'll become carnal. Carnal doesn't mean sinful. It, all sin is carnal, but carnality just means you're of your five senses. You're limited to your five senses. And most people don't spend very much, if any, time in the spiritual realm just with your heart open, loving God, operating in the Word, letting God show you things by the Spirit. We are just physical, 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 and it is killing us and our relationship with God. Boy, those are some strong, strong statements. There's a lot of people that think as long as you aren't out committing adultery, you aren't doing something that's terrible, then you're a good moral person. You're a good moral carnal person. But spirituality isn't based on any of these other things. It's just whether or not the Word of God is real to you. Is what God says to you more real than what the doctor says? If it's not, you're carnal. Is what God says to you more real than what the lawyers say, than what the news people say? You know, we've just come through the quote-unquote great recession that hit at the end of 2008, 2009. And many Christians, again, I'm not against anybody. I'm just trying to be blunt with you, but I can guarantee you many of you in here have struggled because you believe that, well, after all, we're in a recession. And yet God says, Philippians 4:19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Christian source is in heaven. God is going to supply our needs according to his riches in glory. You don't have to let this world economy dominate you. Did you know when the stock market went down 50%, my stocks went up 61% in 2009. And somebody says, that can't happen. Well, it did happen because I was believing God. I had a doctor one time. I, my staff, my uh, board made me go for a doctor's physical to take out an insurance policy on the ministry in case something happened to me. So anyway, they forced me to. So I went to this doctor's thing. And I witnessed to the guys about my son being raised from the dead. I told the nurse and the doctor about it. Man, they were just listening. I was preaching at them. And then they wanted to put these things on my chest and they wanted to shave the hair on my chest. And I told them, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. I said, you can't shave my chest. And so anyway, I convinced them to just put them on there. And 
And when I got about 12 minutes into this test, I was sweating and these things started falling off. So I was holding two of them. The doctor was holding two of them. The nurse was holding two of them. And I was jogging on this thing. And, and anyway, I finished this test. And then after it was over, this doctor got to looking at this piece of paper and he started grunting and, and doing all this stuff. And then he got a piece of pa paper and he wrote out this name and address. And he says, this is another doctor. I want you to go over there. We're going to give you more tests. We're going to probably put you in the hospital and we might do open heart surgery on you before the day is over. You've got a serious problem. Now, let me ask you, if a doctor told you that, what would you do? Most people fall apart like a $2 suitcase because you trust in that doctor so much. I stood, I was shocked. And I just looked at him for a second and then I said, that's a lie. I said, I don't believe that. And he just looked at me. I guess he wasn't used to people telling him he was a liar or something. And I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that that says I got a serious heart problem. He says, well, you were off one hundredth of one percent in one place. And he says, you could be perfectly normal, but I just think we ought to go get you checked out. And I said, that's not what you told me. You lied to me. I said, you told me I had this serious heart problem. And man, I just laid it on him. And I said, how dare you curse me? I refuse this. I cancel this in the name of Jesus. And this guy, he just took his piece of paper and tore it up. And he said, leave, amen. And he flunked me on the test and I couldn't get the insurance. And so we have a doctor on my board and he said, come down to Louisiana. And he gave me a nuclear stress test where they put this stuff in you. And he told me when I was getting the test, he said, these treadmill tests that they give, they're wrong more than they're right. He says, don't ever let a doctor tell you something based on a treadmill test alone. And it turned out, he said, you got the heart of a 17-year-old and I don't have any problems. But you know what? If I would have been carnal instead of being dominated by the Word, I believe I would have probably had a heart problem. If you go to fearing it, fear is just nothing but faith in reverse, faith in the negative instead of in the positive. I could have had a heart problem. Satan would have accommodated me. He would have given me problems. But man, I was just walking in the Word and I've gotten to where, you know, we just built a $32 million building and they told me you can't do this. We had zero money. I just broke ground yesterday on another $35 million building and I've got one and a half million dollars and I've got in the next 18 months got to come up with 32 something, $32.2 million. I don't have it, but I will have it. And some people think you can't do that. But you know what? I'm walking in the Word and what God told me. And you hide and watch. We've already completed a $32 million debt free when I didn't have it. And I'm going to have this other $35 million and I don't have it now, but I will. And those of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. You're just carnal. I tell you, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm doing it better than I have been. And I'm seeing more and more, the closer I get and the more I walk in the spirit, the more I see the manifestation of God's power. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is not abnormal. This is not just for a preacher. This is for every Joe Blow, Jane Doe Christian in the body of Christ. God created you. 
supernatural. If your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. If you can point to everything in your life and said, I did this, I bought that, that's my effort that accomplished this, you're living below God's standards. I had a man that for, I don't know, five, six years or whatever, bought me brand new cars and paid for them and did everything on his own. And they were nice cars, nicer cars than I would have driven. And I'd go places and people would see me in these really nice cars and they'd, they'd say, you know, preachers shouldn't be driving this nice of a car. And what was I to do? Turn down this nice car and go buy an old junker so that I could look holy and make payments on that, be in debt for a clunker when somebody offered me this brand new nice car? So anyway, I got kind of convicted about it and I went back to this guy and I said, you know what, I f I'm embarrassed. I said, I live better than a lot of other people. I'm driving this nice car. I'm kind of embarrassed about it. And he pointed his finger right at me and he says, if you aren't embarrassed about your level of prosperity, God's not your source. He says, God paves his street with gold. God builds mansion. He has, his foundation is, is pearls and diamonds and things like that. If you can look at things and if nobody looks at you and says, man, you are really blessed, well, then you hadn't tapped into the power of God. It changed my attitude. I'm telling you, God made us to be supernatural. God made us that when it says no plague will come nigh our dwelling. You shouldn't be afraid of sickness. You shouldn't be afraid of an evil report. You shouldn't be afraid of when there's a recession and like everybody else, you expect to have problems. You ought to say, God's going to supply my need. That's walking in the Spirit. That's walking in what the Word says. But most of us are more controlled by the evening news. We're more controlled by our husband or our, by our wife, by what people have to say. And right here in Washington, man, all of the political junk that goes on. We're more controlled about all of this stuff than we are by the Word of God. And that's what keeps us from walking in the Spirit. Whatever you focus your attention upon is what's going to dominate you. And so you've got to be focused on the Word of God. You're going to have to unplug from this carnal world. I'm not telling you to enter into a monastery. I'm, I'm saying we're the salt of the earth. We've got to get out of the salt shaker. We've got to be out there. But you could limit the input of this world into your life to a huge, huge, huge degree. And we just don't do it. I'm telling you, you need to recognize that you've got a sixth sense faith that most of us are just letting atrophy. We don't use it. We're just sitting here and we're dominated by our carnal self and by facts and all of these things and ignore that there's a spiritual world. The spiritual world created this physical world. The spiritual world would exist after this physical world is gone. The spiritual world is a superior world just by virtue of the fact it's a parent force. It's going to last longer than this physical world. We've got to get to where we start walking in the Spirit, and I'm not talking about crossing your legs and getting in a lotus position and yelling, Om, 
but you, you get into the Word of God and you renew your mind by the Word of God. And the Word of God, what God says about you, begins to trump what the devil is saying about you and trying to get you into the physical realm. Some of you have been told that you're a loser, that you're never going to amount to anything, either by your parents or your previous mate or your boss or just life. Life will just knock the wind out of you. But I can guarantee you, God has said awesome things about every one of you. Jesus died for every one of you. And that makes you valuable. You know, I've seen things, these little uh, baseball cards that you got three in a pack for a penny. They aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. And some of those things will sell for over a million dollars. What makes them valuable? It's whatever people will pay for it. And because it's rare, people will pay that money. And so these things that probably aren't worth a tenth of a cent are worth millions because that's the value that people placed on it. Think of this. God so loved you that He sent His Son to die for you and that makes you valuable. If God was willing to pay the price of His Son for you, then I don't care what your parents or your ex or anybody else has ever said about you. You are a valuable person. And we need to take God's report and quit speaking these things. Some of us, it's not what others have said. It's what you're saying about yourself. Your self-talk is killing you. You need to start saying about you what God says. You know, when the, I was raised in a Baptist church and taught that I was the scum of the earth, that all of sin comes short of the glory of God and that at my very best, I'm a terrible sinner. And if you factor away the spiritual realm, those things were true. I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But they didn't ever teach you who you were in the spirit. And when I started realizing that I'd been born again and then in my spirit, I was the righteousness of God. I saw it, I understood it, but I couldn't bring myself to say it. I just thought I was going to be struck by lightning if I said that. And I remember going and standing in front of a mirror and forcing myself to look at myself eyeball to eyeball in the mirror. And I started saying, Andrew, you are the righteousness of God. You're as holy and pure in your spirit as Jesus is because it is Jesus living in you. And I started saying these things. And I tell you, all the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I just knew God was going to smite me dead for saying such a thing. But I saw it in the Word and I just started speaking it. I started operating in the Word. You know what I was doing? I was forcing myself to overcome this flesh and overcome what I've thought and what I'd been told about myself. And I began to start seeing myself differently. It doesn't happen automatically. It's something you have to pursue. You have to do it. But you need to get into the Word of God. You need to take the Word and you need to begin to say about yourself what God says about you and recognize that Satan's whole temptation is to get you off of what God says about you and start having you go by what you feel in your body, what the doctor said about you, what the lawyer said about you, what somebody else said about you. You need to find out who you are and then you need to stand in that based on what the Word of God says. If it hair lips ever devil in hell, amen, you just stand on it and do what God told you to do. 
Amen. That's good preaching. That'd change your life. Some of you might agree with the principle that I've laid down, but you don't know who you are. And that's a whole other message. I hadn't got time to preach that. But you need to find out who you are in Christ. I've got a teaching entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body that just unlocked the Word of God to me and changed my life. You need to find out who you are in Christ. And you've got an identity crisis. You don't know who you are. You're awesome. You're awesome. And some of you are thinking, you don't know what I've done. I'm saying you don't know what Jesus has done. You don't know what happened to you when you got born again. You think you're an old sinner saved by grace. But you aren't. When you got saved by grace, you quit being an old sinner and you became the righteousness of God. We got Art down here who traveled with me, Art Drummond, and he had people at the Waffle House this morning he on the curb just preaching to them that you aren't an old sinner saved by grace. I think they were preachers. Preacher and deacon, and they were saying, oh no, I'm a sinner. And he said, no, you aren't. You've been saved. You're the righteousness of God. He was preaching at them, amen. It was awesome. You need to preach it yourself. You need to tell yourself who you are. And I'm telling you, God is awesome what he's done on the inside, but we have an identity crisis. Praise God that Jesus knew who he was and that he didn't come down to being only a man. People will quote the scripture from John 15 about without me, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And they'll just look so pitiful and they'll say, I, you know, I'm nothing without Jesus. And I agree with that. But the thing I disagree with is I'm never without Jesus. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And for you as a New Testament believer to just focus on your inability instead of God's ability, you are denying who you are. You aren't only physical. There is a spiritual part of you that's as pure and holy as Jesus is and it's sealed and it'll never change. And even if you sin, your spirit doesn't lose its righteousness. You are still the righteousness of God. And if you worship him in spirit and in truth, you can come right to the very throne of grace, even when you've sinned and find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Y'all believe that? Amen. You know, if there's anyone in here tonight who's not born again, you must be born again. This, the things that I've been saying tonight don't apply to everyone. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.